Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken Bear of Faith Dialogue. We're in a sermon series called Unstoppable, and it's based on the uh, Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, because we see in the Acts of the Apostles that this early church, the church we have today, was truly unstoppable. We're in chapter 15. In fact, we'll be revisiting chapter 15 because we're in the middle of the Jerusalem Council. Um, this was the first of, of many councils, and it shows us how um, some of the early disputes were settled. In fact, today one of the opportunities we'll see is not only how this dispute was settled, but how that applies as well to other opportunities we have, to other issues that sometimes uh, arise in the church. So in review, Paul and Barnabas have just concluded their first missionary journey. This started in 46 or 47 AD, and Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church at Antioch. And they've been on the road for a year, maybe a year and a half. We saw a pattern that developed as they visited different cities and preached in the synagogue, and then as well to the Gentiles. And the pattern was, there was a response, followed by rejection, followed then by revival. We also saw that they had great success among the Gentiles. They would preach to the Jews first, typically in a synagogue, but many would re and many would receive the message. Uh, however, they would have greater success uh, among the Gentiles. Many Gentiles were very thankful for the gospel and became new believers. Um, Paul and Barnabas then retraced their steps. They went back to the same churches they had preached at over the last year and a half, strengthening the churches, the scripture says, as well as, as uh, appointing elders so that there would be a continuity of leadership in these, in these new churches. They reported back to their home church in Antioch all that God had done among them, all the signs and the wonders that, that God had shown that he was pleased with what was happening, and especially with the Gentiles coming to faith. Then, the scriptures say that Jewish believers came and they said uh, that uh, unless you are circumcised, they're talking to the Gentiles, unless you're circumcised and obey the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, the, we found out that these were of the sect of the Pharisees, what we call Judaizers. And now this caused a lot of confusion. Uh, not only for the Gentiles, but also they're attacking the leadership uh, of Paul and Barnabas. And the church at Antioch decided that they would send Paul and Barnabas, along with a few others from Antioch, to Jerusalem to speak to the apostles there and to be able to, to settle uh, this, this, this cause of friction, this, this dispute. So we saw last week that when they arrived in Jerusalem and met with the church, the apostles and the elders, uh, again, there was criticism of their ministry from these Judaizers. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the, and the custom taught by Moses, you cannot, you cannot be saved. Then it says Peter, uh, the apostle, gets up and supports the teaching of Paul and Barnabas, and he recounts how the Lord had shown Peter that these Gentiles were be, to be accepted. Peter saw a, uh, had a vision of a large sheet descending from heaven and had all kinds of detestable creatures, all kinds of unclean animals. And he heard the voice of the Lord saying, Peter, uh, rise up, kill, and eat. 
and, and Peter was pondering this when all of a sudden there was a knock on the door from, from the household of Cornelius, who was a Roman centur centurion. And Peter followed that, that person back to, to Cornelius' house. And lo and behold, as Peter is explaining the gospel to them, while he's in the middle of his sermon, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on them in the same way that the Holy Spirit fell on Peter and the 120 on the day of Pentecost. And it was very clear to Peter that God was in this, that God was accepting the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. So that brings us to today. We'll begin reading in uh, Acts chapter 15 at verse 12. We're going to go all the way through verse 21. That's our, that's our scripture for today. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has, th has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So we begin to see that Paul and Barnabas are, are permitted to declare how, how God worked through signs and wonders, and they brought many to faith. Dr. Re Dr. Luke reports that all the multitudes kept silent and listened, demonstrating, uh, in fact, demonstrating, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that in the middle of a controversy, in the middle of this heated debate, you know, and, and the, the Judaizers come in and they say you have to be circumcised and Peter gets up and has something to say. There's a lot of dissension going on and Paul and Barnabas get up and start speaking about what the Lord had done among them, through them, with the Gentiles. It says, the multitude kept silent and they listened. What a, what a great example for us today that we would still have the ability to be silent and listen when other people are speaking, allowing us to possibly learn something that we didn't know up until that point. Both Peter's declaration as well as Paul and Barnabas's was that God had accepted these Gentiles. It says, then James begins to speak, and we'll see later in verse 19 that he's making a, a judgment. He has, he has come to a conclusion. Now likely this was a decision that was, was jointly made with the other apostle, apostles and possibly the elders and, and certainly with much prayer. This James, by the way, and actually this is our point, is not James, the brother of John. The brothers that Jesus had nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. That James was actually killed by Herod. We see that back in Acts chapter 2. This is the leader known as James the Just. He is the half-brother of Jesus. He's also the brother of Jude, 
and the author of the book of James. So we're seeing here, and the, and the same point is made by nearly every commentary written by any conservative uh, scholar, that it was James who was the head of this Jerusalem council. Uh, it wasn't the Apostle Peter or anyone else. Now, this is an important distinction. I want to spend just a few minutes on this interesting historical note from the 15th chapter of Acts. You know, the Roman Catholic Church, and I have tremendous respect for the, the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has historically made the claim that the Pope is the successor of Peter, a claim that was largely undisputed until the time of the Reformation in the 16th century. However, when the Bible identifies the Apostle Peter as one of the leaders of the early church, as it does here, uh, there's no indication in any historical writings from the first century that Peter exercised any specific authority in the church in general, or Rome in particular. By, by tradition, Rome, uh, Peter is said to have traveled to Rome and was crucified upside down. However, there's neither biblical record nor any early church writing that attests to Peter's arrival, his ministry, or his leadership in Rome. Now, it is interesting to note that we have what's called extra-biblical evidence, meaning uh, things that were written, um, uh, historical writings that, that are not scripture, uh, but they're historical. We have uh, these historical writings that identify that it was, it was not Peter who was chosen to lead the early church, but it was James. This James, the brother of the Lord. Eusebius Pamphilius, who lived from 263 to 340 AD, was a bishop and he was a scholar and he was a prolific writer because he was an historian of the early church. He wrote actually a volume of the early church up until AD 324. He sta his stated intention in the writing of history was to connect the early church uh, with at that time, which was the beginning still of, of Christianity in the fourth century. Eusebius wrote that this James who we are see, speaking and making a judgment in Acts 15 was known, again, as the brother of the Lord. He writes as well that this James was surnamed the, the righteous, James the righteous, by the, early, by the early church because of his outstanding virtue. And he was the first bishop of the Jerusalem church. Now, Eusebius um, Eusebius' attribution of James rather than Peter as the first bishop is actually echoed by a, by a much more famous person that actually lived a little bit earlier than Eusebius, and that was Clement of Alexandria. Clement of Alexandria was a very important scholar. He was an early bishop of the church. He lived from 150 AD to 215, and he preceded Eusebius by more than 50 years. Clement was a scholar uh, and uh, recognized by both the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. And this is what Clement wrote. He says, Peter, James, and John, after the ascension of the Savior, did not claim preeminence because the Savior had specifically honored them, but chose James the Righteous as Bishop of Jerusalem. James the Righteous, John, and Peter were entrusted by the Lord after his resurrection with higher knowledge. They imparted it to the other apostles and the other apostles to the 70. And now finally, regarding the popes, and again, remember, I have, I have great respect for the Roman Catholic Church and the people in the church. 
However, regarding this, the popes, since this consul in Jerusalem, and actually to this day, as evidenced by the Second Vatican Council, which was in 1965, the authority of the church was always in the consuls, not actually in the Bishop of Rome, also called the Pope. So let's continue and see how this first church council makes and announces their decision. In verse 14, James makes the statement that many miss. He says, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now James begins speaking of God visiting um, his creation pr uh, prior to Abraham. That's what he's saying. He's taking out of the Gentiles, a people for himself. Out of the Gentiles came the Jews. The Jews understood the Gentiles to be distinct from the Jews. However, James is reminding them that Abraham actually was a, a Gentile. And not only Abraham, but people like Noah and Enoch and Adam were all Gentiles. This is all prior to God having a people called the Jews. These were the people of God. These were all prior to Abraham. James then begins to quote the prophet Amos. That's where that scripture is coming from. It's, it's coming from Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 9, 11 through 12. And he says, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. Now, this is somewhere around 50 AD. This is prior to the fall of Jerusalem and 70 AD when the Romans came in and completely destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, uh, killed literally hundreds of thousands of, of Jews. Um, but this is before that. So, so David, so uh, most likely, this is regarding, or James is referring to the falling down of the tabernacle, meaning the rejection by the Jewish people of the Messiah. God was now rebuilding the tabernacle by bringing in the Gentiles. James then says, therefore I judge. Those three words, therefore I judge. And we'll see that this there'll be a letter sent back to Antioch with the council, and it will be from the apostles, uh, the elders, and the brethren, meaning the entire church. James' leadership position, likely as the senior leader or bishop, however, is clear. Um, and this d deliberation, this decision, even though he says, I judge, it, it appears that this deliberation was very participative and also harmonious. This is a good example for us as well. Um, over the years, I've had the privilege of serving in a number of churches. I served in a church for about seven years, and I was a pastor and one of the elders. Um, our policy there was that all major decisions, all of those, those decisions that had not been already delegated to the, to the staff or the senior pastor, all of those other decisions needed to be unanimous. Uh, you know, I served for over seven years, and that policy worked very, very well for us. Let's continue. Uh, with what James has said has been decided. He begins by saying we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, now this is important to note that this was directed to the, to the Gentiles. This is not being directed to the Jewish people who for years would continue, um, even as believers, to embrace circumcision as much of, as, and as, in addition to much of the, the Jewish law. Also notice this decision has no mention of circumcision, which was the contention. This was the, the claim by the Judaizers that these Gentiles needed to be circumcised. But James just passes right over that. 
He says, we're not going to trouble these Gentiles with a lot of this, except for these few things, these, these items of import. Um, so this idea of circumcision has to be just included in that, that statement to not trouble the Gentiles. So let's look at the four things that are listed by James, as well as in the letter, and we'll see that some are very simple, um, some are cultural, and some are a little bit problematic. So first of all, verse 20, it says, uh, uh, not to abstain from things, or to abstain from things polluted by idols. Now, in these Greek cities, there were very many temples to many, many gods. The Greeks had prolific number of gods, and in every large city, there was multiple temples to the, to the various gods. The one thing that nearly all of these idols had, or these temples had, or the worship had, was they would be bringing meat. They would be sacrificing animals to these gods. Um, these were idols of, of gold, silver, wood, and clay, and these idols couldn't possibly eat the meat. The temple priest then would bring the meat into the marketplace and sell them, and they would, that's how they would be provided for. They'd sell this food in the marketplace. Now, this was a practice that had been going on for, for centuries, and the Jews had developed very strong beliefs and would not even touch these items. They would be an unclean and ceremoniously unclean if they even touched these items that were sold at the marketplaces that had been uh, sacrificed or brought in uh, for these idols. Now this request by James is to abstain from those things that are polluted. That word polluted is referring to this idea that they're bringing, being brought and offered to the idols and then sold in the marketplace. And he, the reason was, is, was to honor the practice of the Jews, as it was just something that was very important to them. You know, we can actually group three of these four requests together, uh, to abstain from things polluted by idols, from things strangled, and from blood. All three of these have to do with the eating habits of the, the Jewish Christians. Um, they were not now, the Gentiles were not bound by the law of Moses. We would say that they're under the law of love. The law of love told them, don't un unnecessarily antagonize your Jewish brothers and sisters. Don't, put, uh, don't antagonize them. Don't, don't do things that would be scandalous to them. Paul would write later, uh, don't be a stumbling block to those that are weaker in the faith. Now, a few years later, Going back to the Apostle Paul, Paul would be writing to the Corinthians about this very matter, about things sacrificed to idols. He tells them to be cautious, cautious in their eating, specifically in eating food that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, he doesn't mention to the Corinthians this council's decision in Jerusalem and tells them that they have the right to eat whatever they want, but lays out the reason for caution. And this is what he tells them. I'll quote what Paul had to say beginning in verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, 
so that I will not cause them to fall. Now, Paul doesn't use this actual word, but the, the decision that Paul is talking about here, he's saying basically this, this idea of eating meat that's sacrificed to idols, from a moral perspective, it's actually neutral. God neither commands it, nor does he prohibit it. Paul says, we have liberty. And Paul says, be sensitive. Don't use your liberty in order to hurt others. So I said three of these four requests made by this council were all dietary. dietary. Uh, we, they should abstain from things polluted by idols, from things strangled, and from blood. These are, all, these are all things that are important to the Jews. The other issue that James speaks of is to abstain from sexual immorality. Now, while many associate this reference of sexual immorality to specific pagan practices related to the service of their, their pagan gods, things like temple prostitutes, the text doesn't actually say that. It just says sexual immorality. In fact, the word there, talking about sexual immorality, is the Greek word pornea. And you can imagine where, where this word pornea, what that leads to in English. Um, it doesn't, this word doesn't limit any present imaginative ways of sexual immorality. There's no limit on this idea of sexual immorality. We are, we are, uh, the James is telling us, and their letter's going to be going to the Gentiles, to, to abstain, to avoid it. So we're going to put a pin in this for today. Now, this is actually a, a pretty big topic. We'll put a pin in it for today and we'll address it next week as we come back and we address, we have the opportunity to talk a little bit further on this Jerusalem Council. You know, today we have, we have many other issues, uh, sometimes as divisive as these, these dietary issues in the early church. Things like alcohol, uh, the use of makeup, uh, R-rated movies, a woman in leadership, smoking. Perhaps you went to a church that had some of these types of rules or, or regulations, these things that, that were very important to certain people to abstain from, to stay away from. Uh, the, people have some strong um, opinions on what Christians should and should not be doing. A few years ago, we were going through a, a pretty difficult recession. I was living in Detroit at the time, and, and many people that wanted jobs uh, couldn't find them. Uh, one of the young men in our congregation was a truck driver, and he got a job driving a, a beer truck. He was fortunate enough to get a job in a time of recession, a time of depression, uh, when many people didn't have a job. It was a good job. It, it paid well, and, and he actually liked doing it. However, there were some in our congregation that criticized him. They told him he shouldn't be promoting or contributing to the sale of beer, which is alcohol. Now, it was, it's unfortunate, and we recognized it at the time, because the, the Bible is completely silent on this issue. And actually, where it speaks, it tells us to be cautious. And it tells us two things. It tells us to not to fall back into legalism, don't touch, don't, 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 don't taste, don't look, that's legalism, nor to become a stumbling block for others. That young man made, a, uh, young man made actually a very wise decision. Um, he chose wisely, but of course just because he chose wisely didn't, doesn't mean that it made other people in the church very happy. So today we, we no longer have the, this issue. Uh, of meat being sacrificed to idols. It's no longer a uh, contentious issue for us today. Of course, it helps that there are no meat markets selling meat sacrificed to idols. 
Um, also, the Jewish population within our churches um, is very, very small. And as a result, the Jewish dietary laws and the regulations are no longer a conflict with many in the church. Now, this is fortunate. It's good, however, to look back at this council in Jerusalem that was providing counsel. This council, C-I-L, was providing good counsel, S-E-L, and we want to see how they, they did that. The council provided good advice, and this is also one of the reasons we see that this, the church and our sermon series is called Unstoppable. It's because of wise people that lived long ago that made very, very wise decisions, and they made this collectively, and they made this a matter of prayer. They told these believers to exercise prudence, and there are prudent things that to do today. Uh, you may want to abstain at this time uh, from, from various things, and, and the reason we do this is not because it's unlawful, but because we don't want to do something that would be offensive to others. You know, we're going to visit the Jerusalem Council again next week. The council is going to draft a letter that is going to be sent back to Antioch. This is the church that Paul and Barnabas were sent out of. And Antioch, also in this area north of that, is called Galatia. And this is where these Gentile churches were. It'll give us another opportunity to see how the early church dealt with these issues between the Jews and the Gentiles. We'll also spend a little time on the subject of sexual immorality and also see how councils through the centuries impacted the church. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.